0: Good morning. Certainly, it's good to see each of you here this morning. What a blessing and joy it is always to be able to gather together, to worship God, to open up His Word, and to study from it. It's always an honor to be able to stand before you. I'm grateful for this opportunity that we have this morning. Uh, certainly, we're grateful to all of our visitors who are here. We do have a great number of visitors. Uh, I suppose, perhaps, it's for our friends and family day that we are doing today. But regardless, we're grateful that you are with us. You are, all, as always, our honored guests. We do invite you back in any opportunity uh, that you might have to be with us. Members, we're always thankful for your presence as well. Uh, I brought some visitors with me this uh, today. Um, they were passing through uh, our area on their way back to Memphis. So I was appreciative of the fact that my parents and my sisters could be here. Uh, so if you could have an opportunity to uh, to stop by and to see uh, say something to them. Uh, and certainly, I, know, I think many of you probably already know who they are, uh, but grateful to have them stop in. I think they really came to see the grandbaby. I don't think they really came to see us at all. Uh, grandparents, you probably know all about that, but we're grateful nonetheless to have them with us. Also, visitors, don't forget, we do have a meal uh, planned for every single one of us um, after the conclusion of our services this morning, so please make plans to attend that. And then once again, we do have our afternoon worship at 1.15, not at 6 o'clock, so just keep that in mind uh, as well. You know, when we think about knowledge, knowledge is extremely powerful, isn't it? Knowledge is something that is extremely powerful because knowledge is what allows us to live and to act, to decide, to choose all of these kinds of decisions in the way that we do things in our lives. Now, I suppose that you and I could make the choices and decisions that we do in life without any knowledge, and I suppose that that would probably not be a very smart thing. To do, There are things that every single person, regardless of where you are in life, regardless of who you are, there are things that every single person should know. What I want to do over the course of today, both this morning and this afternoon, is discuss 10 different things that every single person should know. Regardless of who you are, regardless of your religious background, regardless of your job, your occupation, where you might live, what your age might be, every single one of these things is applicable to you and I simply as humans and as those who are created by Almighty God. I want to look at five of these things this morning. Five of them this afternoon. And then we will wrap things up and the lesson will completely be yours. Here's number one. We're going to go over these very briefly this morning. Here's number one. The Bible is your authority. When we talk about things that every single person should know, first and foremost, we must understand that the Bible is our authority. You know, when it comes to our lives, when it comes to the way that we live our lives, why do we live them in the way that we do? Why do we make the choices, the decisions? Why do we choose to do the things that we do in the way that we do them? Why do we make all of these specific and certain choices in our lives? Well, we do so because we understand that there is a standard, isn't there? There is a bar that has been set. There is a code of morals to which we must live up. And you and I understand that we must live up to that standard. We must live up to that bar. And that if we don't, there's going to be consequences. If we don't live up to that authority, to that standard, there are going to be consequences that we don't want to ever have to endure. When it comes to the laws of the land, we understand that very well, don't we? There are laws that we must obey, and if we don't obey them, there are going to be consequences that we are going to have to face. The same thing rings true When it comes to Christianity, the same thing rings true when it comes to our spiritual lives. We have a standard, a set of authority by which we are commanded and required to live our lives. But I suppose that as we go through this, we have to ask the question, what is our authority? What is our authority? Maybe we should ask the better question, who is our authority as individuals? It was Jesus who said in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, and Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. You and I understand when we look at Jesus, the Son of God, part of the eternal Godhead, the all-sovereign Godhead, that He is our authority. He is our standard. He is our bar. And we must live up to the things that He has told us. You see, His authority is something to which we must submit and to which we must willingly submit. When you and I think about Jesus, when we think about His authority, we know that He has expressed that authority to us, but how do you and I find that? How do we find that authority that Jesus has given to us, that Jesus has set in place to which we must live up? Well, you and I have to go to His manual, don't we? We have to go to His book. We have to go to His Word to see what it is that God would have you and I to do in this life. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, the Bible tells us that all Scripture is given by what? By inspiration of God. It is God-breathed. It is from the very mind, from the very words of Almighty God. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. When you and I look at the authority of Almighty God and we understand what it can truly do for us, we understand that it can make us successful in this life. It makes us perfect, as verse 17 tells us. It makes us complete. It makes us who we need to be in this life in order to go to our eternal home if we just simply submit to His authority. You see, the Bible, God's perfect Word, the words of Jesus, that is our authority. Here's number two. The second thing that I think every single person should know is the fact that God has created us. God is our Creator. Now, we talked a couple of weeks ago when we talked about abortion. We talked about how life begins in the womb. And I don't want to just repeat many of the things that I said in that particular sermon. However, some of those verses that we referenced are very crucial when it comes to talking about who created us and in the way that we were created, understanding that God is our Creator. You see, it's truly quite simple, isn't it? It's really quite simple if we think about what the Scriptures have told us. You know, the reason that our very first point was that the Bible is our authority is because when we set our standard, when we understand there is an authority to which we must submit talking about the Bible, we understand that it is the source for all of our answers. We understand that we can go to this guide, to this source, and it will tell us all of the things that we need to know in order to live our lives in a successful Way. And thus, when it comes to passages like Genesis chapter one, you go back to the very beginning of time, to the very beginning of the Bible. It talks about creation. We can take it as truth. We can take it as something that happened and we can understand and believe it to be so. We sing that song in our Bible classes about the days of creation. All of us here know that song, but do we really believe it? When we listen to it, do we really take it in and think about the fact that we were created by Almighty God? when He talks about creating the heavens, the moon, the stars, the plants, the animals, and then He talks about creating mankind. And even within verse 26, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1 that God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over all the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. How much more clear... Does it need to be? This world was not created from some quote-unquote big bang. It wasn't created over some millions of years as so many people in our world today claim. But we understand that God created this world in six 24-hour days and did so as a pattern for you and I in the way that we should live our lives. And it was on day six that God created mankind. That God created humans. God created people just like you and just like me. How special is that? Have you thought about that? How special is it that you and I were created in such a way that nothing else was ever created like you and I? And the fact that you and I are made in the image of Almighty God. We have been created in the likeness of God Himself. The trees, the sky, the moon, the stars, They can't claim that, can they? You see, you and I are so valuable, aren't we? We are so precious. We are so costly. We are so irreplaceable when it comes to the way that God has created us because He is the authority. And yet, you and I understand that even within God being our Creator, we also understand in a sense of how little and how lowly you and I are as it comes to Almighty God and to who He is. I want you to go to Psalm chapter 8 with me this morning. Psalm chapter 8, and I want to read this in Psalm in its entirety. As we talk about Almighty God, we talk about who He is, His power, His authority, and we look at what God has done for you and I and how amazed we should truly be at Him. Psalm chapter 8, notice with me here beginning in verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, David begins this psalm. How excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the Son of Man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Your name in all of the earth. When we think about what God has done, the extent to which God has done it, looking at an understanding within creation, on day six, God created you and I so uniquely, so valuable, so worthy. It's truly amazing. When we think about the fact that God is our Creator. And because God is our Creator, We understand that He alone deserves all of our glory, honor, and praise that you and I could ever muster. And that we could ever point to any being, you and I understand it must go towards Almighty God as our Creator. Here's number three. The third thing that I think every single person should know, regardless of where they are in this life and what they have done, is the fact that God loves you. God loves you. It is so easy, isn't it? in our day and age at least, to utter the words, I love you, to someone or to something. In fact, I fear that perhaps it has gotten a little bit too easy to say the words, I love you. The, world, excuse me, the word love in our world and in our culture is used so flippantly, isn't it? To the point to where I perha- perhaps it's lost some of its meaning. Maybe it's been degraded in its meaning because of how often and in the various ways that we use it. You and I talk about the word love to go towards our feelings of a sports team or towards a kind of food that we enjoy or perhaps a place that we visited on vacation and we say that we love all of these things and yet we use that same word to describe the way that we feel towards our spouse or towards our family and maybe even towards our attitude towards Almighty God. I suppose there's nothing wrong with using that word in all of those different ways and I know that I have, I know we all have at times, but perhaps it makes it a little bit more difficult for us to truly understand what we might call true love and an understanding the attitude that God has towards His creation. You and I know that when we read in Scripture, that when we see God expressing His love towards us. It is in the Greek language. It is that word agape. It is that unconditional love that God expresses towards His creation that despite the sins of mankind, despite the time and time again of His creation turning their backs on Him, He still loves them. Regardless of what His creation, regardless of what you and I have ever done towards Him. You know, it's truly amazing, isn't it? When we try to comprehend it, just understanding the ability to love in the way that God loves each of us. It was John who said in 1 John chapter 4, beginning of verse 7, that was read just a moment ago, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is agape. God is that unconditional love for you and for me. That no matter what we have done, no matter what we could ever do in this life, His love for us remains constant. Now, certainly that is no license for you and I to just sin to act however we want and to think that there's no repercussions because God's love is going to be there for us. It's going to cover us. We know that that ideology is Calvinistic. We know that that is something that is disproven in places like Romans chapter 6 and so on and so forth. However, understanding God's love for us ought to give us confidence. in knowing that no matter how far we could ever fall away from God because of His love for us, there is a way back to come to Him. There is always a way to come back into His fold because of the love of Almighty God. And understanding what God's love has done for us, it should ought to make you and I love each other all the more. It It should ought to shape the way that we view one another, the way that we treat one another, and understanding that God treats me in a way that I don't deserve, that ought to shape our attitudes towards our brethren, towards our family, towards our friends, towards those in the world, we ought to see people with the same love that God has given us. Here's number four. Jesus Christ died for you. When I think about something that I think that every single person, Christian, non-Christian, religious, non-religious should know, it ought to be the fact that Jesus Christ has died for every. Single person. Jesus Christ has died for you. And I suppose that this ties in with what we just talked about that being God's love for His creation. You and I know that there is a massive, a colossal problem that our world faces, that our world has faced ever since Genesis chapter 3, and that problem is sin. We know that our world has faced this problem of sin, this idea of transgressing the law of God, of going against what God has set in place for us to do, and it's because of our sins, and it's because of God's love for His creation, that there had to be a sacrifice. There had to be something that was done in order for us to be able to have our sins washed away. There had to be something that was put to death in order for those sins to be forgiven. You remember going back to the old law, under the old covenant, it was those animal sacrifices that were offered year after year. However, you and I know, according to passages like Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4, where the writer there tells us that it is not the blood of bulls and goats that can take away the sins of man. Thus, it was only something that could suffice us or hold us over until there was that one sacrifice. That one sacrifice that took care of all of the sins that anyone had ever committed. You and I know that sacrifice is the blood and the life of Jesus Christ, the Son of Almighty God. And we read about that in Hebrews chapter 10. Beginning in verse 10, the Bible tells us, By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of, notice this, Jesus Christ, but once for all. And that every priest, stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which could never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. There used to have to be continual sacrifices made. Just in order for people to be in a good standing, in a good relationship with God. Isaiah 59 and verse 2 shows us that when we sin, our relationship is broken apart. It is separated with Almighty God. And yet it is because of Jesus Christ, because of His sacrifice, because of what He has done for us and His perfect nature, there no longer remains a sacrifice. I suppose it's difficult to imagine, isn't it? At least on the part of God and what He went through. If we could allow ourselves to attempt to step into His shoes for just a moment and to think about the process that God had to go through, that He as the all-powerful, the all-sovereign Creator, fashioning us, forming us, creating us into His image, giving us free will to live and to breathe and to act however we want to do so, and then to see us disappoint Him time and time and time again. We've committed sin, thus we've cut off that relationship again, Isaiah 59 and verse 2. And so we see the need for a perfect sacrifice. We mentioned that a moment ago. So God sends His Son, Jesus Christ, to become mankind, to become what He created, to take on the burden of sin, and to go to the cross in our place, in our stead, for His creation. For you and I, I guess, for lack of a better term, whenever we sin, whenever we turn our backs on God, it is almost like a slap in the face to him because of our disrespect and thinking about what God has done for us, and then our attitude towards Him. It was the Apostle Paul who said in Romans chapter five, beginning of verse seven, "For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die." It doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make logical sense in our mind. God, you would send a perfect man, your only son, to die for your imperfect creation. It's hard to imagine dying for someone who doesn't deserve to live. And I suppose it is unimaginable for us to die for someone who doesn't deserve to live. And yet in the very next verse, in verse 8, Paul continues his thought talking about the attitude of God, the attitude of His Son, Jesus Christ, because He says that God demonstrates His own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ died for you regardless of your race, regardless of your background, regardless of your occupation, regardless of your past and what you might have done. Jesus died for For you. You see, that ought to shape the way that we live our lives, shouldn't it? That ought to shape our attitude of thanksgiving and gratitude towards our Creator and what He has done for us. It ought to shape our view of those around us that Jesus Christ died for every single person just as equally as He died for me and for you. Going back to that passage in 1 John chapter 1 which we mentioned a moment ago, beginning of verse 9, the Bible tells us in this the love of God was manifested. It was demonstrated towards us and that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and that He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God demonstrating His perfect love towards us through His perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Here's number five. The last one we'll talk about this morning. Heaven and hell are very, very real. When I think about something that every single person in this world should know, must know, it is that heaven and hell are extremely real places. I suppose that within the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you and I understand that it had to happen. The death of Jesus is something that we would consider a necessity, in other words, if it didn't happen, something bad, something terrible would happen to creation, to our world, there would be no hope for you and I. We know that his sacrifice is what saves us from our sins and it is our submission to him, and that is what grants us access excuse me to that salvation. but I suppose the question remains is this: salvation from what? what is it from which you and I as creation are being saved. You and I remember we have authority from Almighty God that's been expressed to us through his word. Thus we go to it for our answers. And then within the scriptures, within God's holy word, we revealed to us our two destinations for every single person who has ever been created and whoever will be created in this world. Those two destinations are heaven and hell. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus describes for us, I suppose in terms that you and I can easily understand, uh, and that's it's an interesting thought when you think about how Jesus describes it there. He talks about how there's going to be a day of judgment. A day of judgment where every single person is going to stand before him as the judge and they're going to answer for every single thing that they have ever done in this life. We can go to the earlier, or should we later on in the New Testament, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning of verse 10, that we are all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to give an account of the things that we've done, whether they be good or bad. And in Matthew chapter 25, we are essentially given Two different options. Notice beginning of verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand, but He will set the goats on the left. You and I understand those who have been faithful to God, those who have submitted ourselves to His will, they are going to be the ones who are parted among the sheep, those who are going to heaven. But then you and I know we can flip that coin. We can look at the people who are disobedient to the will of God, who are rebellious towards what God has told them, who are disrespectful towards their Creator, and they're going to be parted among those who are called the goats, those whose destination is hell. You see, the fact alone that we can have an opportunity to go to heaven, A place described for us in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4, where John says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away, or that we could go to a place called hell. Where if you continue on reading in Revelation 21, John would go on to describe that place, beginning, excuse me, go back to chapter 20, beginning in verse 14 where the Bible says that death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, this is the second death. And not anyone found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Just understanding that you and I have the opportunity to not make it to heaven and to end up going to a place called hell of eternal torment and torture, it ought to push you and I to live our lives in the way that God would want us to live. You and I should want to do all that we can to make sure that heaven is our eternal home. We're going to talk about that a little bit more this afternoon. Because you and I understand that the eternal alternative to our home being heaven is our home being a place that you and I don't ever want to have to endure or to ever even know about. Because it's a place of eternal pain and torture that we will never ever get out of. Ten things that every single person should know. Ten things that I think are so crucial to the knowledge of every single person, regardless of where you are in life and regardless of your religious background. You see, that's the great thing. When we look at Scripture, when we look at the New Testament, the Gospel is for all. We know that. We know that every single person is sin. Romans 3, and verse 23. We know that because of that sin, our wages, what we deserve, should be death. Romans 6, and verse 23. And yet, you and I know that Jesus Christ came to this earth, Philippians chapter 2, took our sins and went to the cross, and now because of that sacrifice, you and not have an opportunity at heaven. That is one thing that everybody should know. That is one thing that you and I as Christians should be able to scream from the mountaintops. That we have an opportunity for salvation. Jesus has told us within the New Testament, we read about the apostles preaching it throughout the book of Acts and throughout all the other epistle letters, that you and I have an opportunity to go to heaven. That if you and I are willing to repent of our sins, we're willing to submit our lives to Jesus Christ, we're willing to confess His name, and that we're willing to put Him on in baptism. That water representing the blood of Jesus Christ shed on that cross of Calvary for us. That we could go on our way rejoicing knowing we're on our way to heaven. You read in Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch going down into the water, Philip baptizing Him. They coming up out of the water. The Spirit catches Philip away but the Ethiopian unit goes on his way rejoicing because he knows where his eternal home is going to be. Maybe you're here this morning and perhaps you want to do that. Perhaps you want to give your life over to God. You want to be baptized into water. Know that you can do that. And we'd be happy to help assist you in that. But Maybe you're here and perhaps you are a Christian, but maybe your life's not what it should be. Maybe you are living your life in such a way to where you're not showcasing your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're not living your life in such a way to where you understand that if you continue doing those things, then heaven is not going to be your eternal home. And maybe you understand that. Maybe you realize that and you are ready to come back to His fold. Know that you can come forward, repent of those things. We can pray for you. We'll do all that we can to help you, to assist you, to encourage you. Perhaps you're here and maybe you need to respond to the Lord's invitation. Know that you can do that now. Or maybe you want to do it at a time where nobody else is here. Maybe you just want to talk to an elder, to a member, to me, to anybody here about anything that's going on in your life. Please understand, you don't have to do it at this moment in time, but also understand this, you aren't guaranteed another moment than the moment in which we are living at this time. If you have a need this morning, please make it be known. It's together we stand and as we sing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.